You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. A couple of firsts that I had over the past week. The first first was uh, building my first sukkah as a grown-up. Um, you know, I, we had sukkahs uh, periodically whenever my parents felt like it when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, really, ever since I went to college, I never had a sukkah of my own because I always lived in places that weren't really conducive uh, to my building a sukkah or outright didn't allow me to build a sukkah, uh, you know, my dorm in college uh, or uh, my apartment in rabbinical school in Los Angeles uh, or in my apartment when I was in Philadelphia. I always lived in apartments and places where I couldn't build a sukkah. I didn't have enough space. It's an interesting uh, uh, insight, by the way, about Sukkot, it's a sermon for another time, but just because I'm on the subject, I'll throw it out there, um, that a sukkah is a sort of uh, ironic thing because to create a temporary shelter, um, it actually reminds you um, how blessed you are to have the space to do it. Uh, And so in creating a temporary shelter, you're reminded of the fact that you have a permanent shelter to dwell in. So it's an important uh, issue, but the sermon for another time. So this was my first time in my adult life building my own sukkah. Uh, I uh, marveled about how much uh, time, even with a, basically a prefab one that I got, uh, it took for me to take it. It was a significant investment of uh, time and energy uh, to build it. I was able to do it by myself, but uh, not without several uh, metal poles falling on my head and feet and, and other places like that. Uh, and those of you who have built a sukkah before, whether you've done it by yourself or with a group, know that, uh, that you know, it's not the hardest task that one can uh, perform, but it's not necessarily uh, um, a, a, a second nature to most of us. I, I joked a few times this week that the last time there was a Jewish carpenter, things didn't end up so good for him. Uh, and so, you know, we, we Jews, you know, we're not always known unless you're, um, unless you're Brian Imberg, you're not all, we're not always known for our uh, acumen with uh, banging hammers and putting things together. But anyway, so I built my first sukkah in my adult life uh, this uh, week. The second first that I had this week was dismantling my sukkah in anticipation of a hurricane that might blow it over and into somebody else's, you know, house or car window, uh, windshield or something like that. Uh, That was a first for me in my life to uh, build a sukkah um, and then after whatever it was, three days, four days, have to take it down uh, in in fear of uh, everything getting blown away or damaged or ruined or hurting somebody. Um, And uh, I I sent out an email to the congregation about uh, about that. And uh, for those of you who have sukkahs, maybe you uh, uh, um, uh, took it to heart or maybe you wanted to brave the elements. And uh, um, I salute you if uh, if you are uh, a brave soul like that. So I had these two firsts of exerting the energy and the effort and and thought of putting together this structure. And then in really the blink of an eye, spending the time taking it down and putting it away. Now I did this in a very short window and these were firsts for me to actually do it with my own hands. But those of us who have participated in the act of building and then dismantling a sukkah uh, before, 
um, have experienced this. Those of you who haven't have observed it from the sidelines, but the insight is valid nonetheless. If you ever have a chance to actually do it with your hands, it becomes a, a more tactile and real insight and lesson into, what, into what's going on. The act of, uh, of, of putting up and dismantling a sukkah is um, an incredible insight into, uh, into the capability we have of two things. The first is acknowledging the temporariness of uh, the material things that exist in our life, that we acquire or build or make or buy all of these material, physical structures, our homes, our cars, our clothes, uh, our, our toys, our gadgets, all of these things we, we build or acquire, and all of them are temporary, just like the sukkah. Because the sukkah you build up, and then right away, or a week later, or you know, if you're lazy about it, like the person who takes down the Christmas lights at, eats, at Easter, uh, you, uh, by Hanukkah, whatever, you take your sukkah down. So it's a temporary structure. It's always meant to be a temporary structure. You build it, and then you take it down, and it affirms the, uh, the, the temporary nature of all of our material things. So it teaches us two things. One, v'samachta bechagecha. You should rejoice in your holiday. The sukkah is a place of rejoicing, of celebration. You go in there and you have your meals. You congregate with friends. You, uh, there are all sorts of uh, laws and customs about studying in there and uh, doing all of your normal day-to-day activities as much as you can in the sukkah because on Sukkot, the Talmud tells us that we're supposed to make our regular shelters temporary and our temporary shelters regular. And so on Sukkot, we take advantage full advantage, we fully embrace and rejoice in this temporary structure that we've built, a temporary structure that is destined to be taken back down again just a few days later. It's true in our lives because most everything in our life, whether it's the possessions that we have, the houses that we live in, the people that we know, all of materiality is temporary. And so the challenge that Sukkot raises to us is, can you do two things? Can you rejoice in what you have and simultaneously be prepared to let it go when it's time to let it go? The Buddhists are really good at this. There's a custom that I don't know how many of you are familiar with, but I think it's a beautiful one, of, uh, of creating mandalas, which are these intricate circular designs that, uh, that Buddhist monks will spend days, weeks, months uh, um, covering with, uh, with intricate designs, usually in colored sand. And then when they're complete, when they're totally finished with this whole thing that maybe took them months or even years to create, they shake it up like an Etch-a-Sketch and erase it completely. Or a more contemporary example is the Burning Man Festival that happens in the Nevada desert where this whole community, this whole festival comes in this totally barren landscape, builds almost an entire city symbolized by this one giant man uh, that's made out of straw or wood or whatever it's made out of. And at the end of this uh, several-day-long festival, 
the final ritual is to dismantle everything in the camp and to set the man on fire, to burn it down completely to ashes. The insight of the sukkah, of the mandala, of burning man is to remind us that life is temporary. And so in the face of the temporariness of life, in the face of the temporariness of our possessions, in the face of the temporariness of our, in, of our, of our human connections, the challenge is can you hold it and also be prepared to let it go? So many of us do the opposite thing. We don't take advantage of the moments and the people and the, and the places and the things that we have in our life. We sort of put them aside. We, they collect dust. Our relationships collect dust. We don't really take the investment and care of, uh, of, of the things that, uh, that, that we have in our lives. And then when we realize that they're fleeting, we don't want to let them go. But Sukkot reminds us that the whole life, the peaceful life, a, a, a life of joy and happiness and contentment, invites us to the opposite direction. To take advantage and grasp with all of our might that which we have and hold it close and hold it tight because who knows what tomorrow will bring. A hurricane might come and you might have to dismantle the whole thing. And then when it's time to let it go, to be able to let it go because the nature of things is to be let go. There was a great rabbi in the uh, 1950s who died young because he had health uh, issues. And after one bout of, uh, of, of heart surgery that he had, he was the rabbi of Park Avenue Synagogue in Manhattan, uh, a rabbi named Milton Steinberg. And uh, if you want to read anything by Milton Steinberg, it's great and you should do so, but especially his book, As a Driven Leaf. But Milton Steinberg uh, had heart surgery. And after heart surgery, he uh, was sort of awakened to a new way of thinking about life, and he wrote a sermon about it maybe one of the best Jewish sermons of the contemporary uh, period, I think. The sermon was called To Hold with Open Arms. And he said that the insight that Jewish tradition offers us in life and what one realizes after coming through a, a, a traumatic or near-death experience is that there's a tendency at, after those moments to embrace with vigor everything you have because you know how fleeting it is. And that's a powerful insight and a truth. But what Judaism also teaches us is that the nature of the sukkah is to be dismantled. Whether it's because a hurricane's coming or because Sukkot is over, this temporary shelter we built is temporary. And so Judaism teaches us to love that sukkah, to do everything we can to cherish it, and then when its time comes, to be content enough to let it go. And in this holiday of Sukkot, where we're threatened with storms and in the storms of our lives, I want to bless each of us that we're able to take the lessons of the Sukkah and to hold each other in all aspects of our life, to hold it and to embrace it, but with hope.